with Joe Burrow. How much are you buying into that this is this Joe Burrow is going to stay? The Joe Burrow that, yeah, he doesn't have all the arm talent in the world, but he is consistent. He has command of the offense, highly accurate with the football, and winning football games now, 3-1 and one with Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, very confident. Like, this is the guy we saw at LSU, and he even said, I think in his post-game press conference, he's like, in the second half, he just said, give it to me. Like, let me do it. Let me go empty. Let me do what I do best, and I will win you this game. Stop making me fucking hand off to, you know, Joe Mixon to get three yards to carry. Let me go out and make some explosive plays. And that's what they did in the second half. And it was an awesome game to watch. I mean, what, last two first-round picks, two of the better quarterback prospects we've seen here at PFF. Actually, probably the two best quarterback prospects we've said that we saw here at PFF dueling it out head-to-head. And it was by far the best we saw Trevor Lawrence look, too. Like, he looked like he was in command of that Jaguars offense at well as well. He looked like... The turnover-worthy plays, none in this game. The just boneheaded decisions, the inaction down the football field, that really wasn't there. He made some special throws. The, the over route to the to the sideline to, gosh, I'm forgetting who exactly it was. It was one of the dopest throws I saw all weekend. We had a great view of it from the end zone there. So it really was a tough-fought game. But this Jags defense still is, you know, the Jags defense. They just don't have enough talent walking through that door right now to stop really – shit anybody i want to talk a little bit more about lawrence i think trevor lawrence and a lot a lot of other the first round quarterbacks actually played well this week they hey, actually turned in that strong performances i think the you know weeks one through three a lot of people were you know, people were writing off zach wilson as a bust people thought trevor lawrence was a bust all these different mm-hmm. things but uh they actually turned around but i want to say with cincinnati through four weeks cincinnati Bengals are top 10 in pressure rate allowed a lot of that is time to throw they are throwing getting yeah. the ball out quickly but like so many people talked about this offensive line and how they didn't prove it enough they didn't take Panay Sewell. Jonah Williams, their left tackle, 81.9 PFF grade in this one, has allowed very few pressures on the season. It's kind of all coming together for them. And they didn't even have T. Higgins in this game. They also had some missing on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's why it was ultimately close. But I'm not buying Cincinnati as, you know, second-year Joe Burrow Super Bowl candidates. But I do think they're very confident in the competent in the AFC North. And I think much improved. And that's all you wanted from Cincinnati this year. You weren't looking for Joe Burrow to win the Super Bowl. You weren't looking for them to even win the division between the yeah. Browns and the Ravens. But you wanted them to improve. Williams has improved. Obviously, Joe Burrow has improved. And I think maybe even Zach Taylor has improved, maybe moving away from the run game in this one, going in, going behind early, forcing him into more of a pass-happy situation. And honestly, that paid off for Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, for the Bengals, it's still like the defense side of the ball. You still have worries. Now, they look much better. Logan Wilson is playing excellent in year two, but you're still throwing out you know Eli Apple and Trey Wayne's at corner. If you want to compete with the big dogs, in the AFC, that is not going to be an obstacle to be able to but he didn't play in this one. But if you're going to compete in the AFC, you got to be better than that at that position. You just have to. If you want to beat the Chiefs, if you want to beat uh, you know the Bills in the playoffs, you're going to have to be better than that. So I still think they are kind of that in that secondary tier uh, of teams if they're actually talking about playoff Super Bowl contenders. But like you said, you want to see improvement. You are seeing improvement in a number of different facets. So good on the Bengals. I mean. I think on the defense side of the ball, yeah, they don't have a lot of talent on the back end. They were out to W. Wuzier, but they're also struggling to create pressure. They rate 31st in pressure rate so far this season. In this game, creative pressure, I think, on over 40% of Trevor Lawrence's dropbacks, but that's against a bad Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line. I think that defense still has a ways to go. But offensively, you know, we said it going into the season. There's not a lot of reason for Zach Taylor and the Cincinnati Bengals not to have a top 10, top 15 offense in EPA per play this season. They're on pace to have something along those lines as long as Joe Burrow maintains this. Okay, um, let's get to the real story of the game, though. What the hell is going on with Urban Meyer afterwards? <laughs> I dude. guess it was Friday night or Saturday night out in Columbus. Uh, 
The boys were just one of the weirdest videos I've ever seen in my entire life. Sitting on like a chair. If you haven't seen it, he's sitting on a chair and some like 20 something year old blonde female is grinding on like his kneecap. It was a tough Yeah, scene that to was the interesting part about the video, too. I don't want to do any all 22 analysis on it too much. But <laughs> well, yeah, like, we have to see that angle. You first. have to see the video to kind of understand. Like, a lot of people are obviously bagging on Urban Meyer, rightfully so. I think he has more, there's more concern with how many, how much he was kind of holding back tears in the postgame press conference on Thursday than actually what happened Friday or Saturday or whatever it was. He had his, you know, fists between his legs. It was only, I don't know, I think there was some protection there, some defense being played from Urban Meyer, better defense than the Jaguars played all year. But let's go ahead and get out of this game and get out of the Urban Meyer news. Go to the Atlanta Falcons, Washington football team. We called this a get right game for the football team. They were one and a half point favorites over the Atlanta Falcons. And honestly, the start of this game, I didn't think they were getting right at all. You know, they were giving up a lot of points to an Atlanta Falcons team that was awful to start the season. Matt Ryan had his first completion over 20 plus air yards against this Washington <laughs> defense. But the Washington football team ended up pulling it out 34-30. Start on the Washington football team side. Your immediate reactions. Yeah, uh, my immediate reaction is that Taylor Heineke looks indistinguishable from Ryan Fitzpatrick and that like they <laughs> in are a bad way. They are not like that is not the type of quarterback you really want with this defense or I mean should be with this defense. But it's the defense side of the ball that is still the biggest thing. They have to be thanking, you know, God right now. Anyone, whatever you believe in, they have to be thanking because they are two and two with a defensive performance through the first four weeks. That is bottom the, five. But yeah, one of the worst in the NFL and, and like that. And it's not like they're, you know, Falcons offense. Well, you said it was a get-right game because they've been one of the worst offenses in the NFL so far this season. Like they have to be so lucky to be to have come away with the wins they did against the Giants in this game the way they did. Um, I, I still like them to bounce back at some point, but man, it's getting harder and harder to believe in that being the case. The talent's there, but man, they're just not playing up to what pretty much everyone and their mother thought they were going to be this season. Right now in this game or in this game, Terrell Heineke, I think two turn or two big time throws, three turnover worthy plays, that roller coaster, that same one you see from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Defensively, there's only two teams in the NFL that have allowed a touchdown or a field goal on more than fifty percent of their opponent drives. And it's the football team and the Kansas City Chiefs. Fifty seven percent of the drives the football team has faced this year, they've allowed us points. They've allowed points. That is unacceptable. And I'm you know, a lot of football team fans that I've seen on Twitter are asking Part of my French. What the fuck is going on with Chase Young? Like you're not seeing yes. this like massive, massive leap that a lot of people expected from Chase Young. Obviously, coming off of Defensive Rookie of the Year, and are our football team fans rightfully concerned that he's not, you know, dominating week in and week out? And so he's been very good. There's, he's not like bad by any means. There's not been he's not been too much. You know, different from the guy we saw last year, but that's also kind of the thing. It's like, you should see you're on your growth, you should see you're on your improvement. And so far to this point, really haven't from him. So that is mildly concerning. I'll say, because I think everyone, the expectations for this defense were set on the fact that he turns into Miles Garrett. You know, he turns into that unstoppable force. Khalil Which maybe is unfair, Which, yeah, I mean, for a young player. Possibly, because Miles Garrett really in year two was not Miles Garrett. You know, it took probably year three was when Garrett really started to become that impact every down dominant guy. So I guess from that perspective, if Chase Young to Miles Garrett, obviously number one, number two overall picks those two. Yeah, give, give him some time to turn into that guy. But uh, you were obviously hoping as a Washington fan it would happen this season. Couple couple more data points on this game before we move forward. Chase Young in this one, just a 74.1 PFF grade, which is good. Like young edge defenders do not consistently grade as well as Chase Young does, but 
the floor has been high. We're looking for the ceiling. We're looking for Miles Garrett to kind of take yeah. Miles Garrett. We're looking for him to become Miles Garrett. And as for the Atlanta Falcons, Matt Ryan had the highest graded performance of his season, 92.5. And then AJ Terrell, here's a stat for you. He's the only cornerback that has played over 80 coverage snaps on the outside, has not allowed more than five yards in coverage. Only four yards allowed all season long for A.J. Terrell, the second-year cornerback out of Clemson. He is oh, playing well. One more question for you on a rookie. Kyle Pitts. Are they using him wrong? Because he is just not meeting anyone's expectations. The fantasy community, the draft community, he is not, from a production standpoint, meeting people's yeah. expectations. His target rate is lower than I expected, I'll be honest. And he's not playing as many reps in the slot or on the outside as I expected. But still... He is not performing at what people, a lot of people tagged him as. In this one, though, I, I thought they, so 18 snaps lined up out wide. Like, they used him at times as just kind of an X. Uh, on the Cordero Patterson, uh, big, I think it was a touchdown, the deep post, he was basically a decoy um, on the opposite side, basically as just the guy who was running a deep uh, kind of hitch over the middle of the field. And, and then they targeted him once on a dig, one-on-one, when he was split wide left. So I, I do think they were trying to get him more involved in that type of a role. But, I mean, he doesn't even turn 21 until, what, a couple of days. So <laughs> the, guy is 20, the guy is 20 years old. So that is, I think the expectations were very high, but I think we can give him some time here because especially, I mean, still at 50 yards in this game. And that, that Falcons offense has been putrid. But I, I do think the biggest thing with Falcons offense is if, you get the good Matt Ryan. You've got a good game from them, and you still lose because I just don't think things are turning around the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line had seven hurries on 34 dropbacks in this game. Zero hits, zero sacks. That is just you aren't going to win games when that is continually how you're pressuring opposing quarterbacks. And that's with Grady Jarrett, the defense tackle for the Atlanta Falcons, play, having one of the better starts of his NFL career this season. He is playing really well for the Atlanta Falcons. And I maybe misspoke on Pitts' usage. I think I'm more concerned with his target rate so far this year. 64 offensive snaps at inline tight end, 62 snaps out wide, and 87 snaps in the slot. 18 snaps out wide was tied for the most he's had in a single week this season. I just think he needs more targets. He needs more volume because there's just not a lot of... I mean, I guess Coral Patterson, you know, maybe this is his breakout. Maybe not. Maybe Coral Patterson is who we thought Kyle Pitts could be. Just kidding. All right. On to Texans at Bills. Mm. You told everyone on this who listens to this show, take the minus 16 and a half and eat it. Just it, it's, it's a, you don't want to be rooting for Davis Mills. On the drive back from South Bend, me, an idiot, bet on Davis Mills plus eight. No, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, didn't I didn't know that. I did, I did. I, did. I was feeling cheeky. Oh. Plus 18. I just wanted to have I wanted to feel alive. You know, I had to bounce back from a, a significant trip here in South Bend. I bet it at plus 18. It gets all the way out to plus 18. It closed at that line. And they get blanked. Bills yeah. win 40-0. It was a disaster. Davis Mills is the lowest grade quarterback in the NFL, and I don't even think you need you know, PFF grading training to really get a handle on that. It has been awful for him and Houston Texans. Yeah, I, I think, obviously, this game, I was hand up. I didn't go back and watch any of it. after. Like, <laughs> I watched the red zone. I watched some of the highlights. I didn't actually go back and do any study because, shit, it's, it was 40 nothing. What are you going to learn from that? Um, I, I think we're going to look back, though, and see – that Steelers week one Bills game as kind of like the Colts Jags from week one last year where it's just like, damn, how how did that happen? Mm -hmm. Because one team is one of the best in the NFL. The Bills. Yes. I think that was pretty obvious to the listeners, I would hope. And the other team is, well, Steelers right now and hasn't won a game since. 
I, I would also say that the drop off for people who are saying, "Oh, the Houston Texans are always bad. They should have never been." It's, the drop off from Terod Taylor to Davis Mills is a fucking skyscraper. Like it is massive for this offense. They can't get anything going on the ground. They're struggling to get anything going through the air. I think Brandon Cooks led the team in receiving this week with 87 yards. I almost bet. You know what Davis Mills' line was for 200, for passing yards for a prop? 200.5. I was like, dude, he's got to. It's gonna be. He's gonna be behind. You only had 87 passing yards in this game. No, it did rain. It was raining. Now you should uh, check the weather. Come on. Come on. I'm just saying. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Josh Allen as well. Because Josh Allen, though, obviously, like you said, one of the best teams in the NFL, leading one of the best teams in the NFL, just a 72.6 grade in this one. He had a couple turnover-worthy plays, one interception that was dropped in the end zone, another interception that was caught early in this game, I think by um, Justin Reed, or no, Lonnie Johnson. Your the, 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 the up and down play from Josh Allen, I don't think is concerning. But I will argue, when you are going to go against some of the other better teams in the NFL, specifically in the AFC, I mean, you need. To, I think you need to improve Josh Allen if you're going to beat, you know, beat some of these other teams. Yeah, I think this was the way he's kind of played this year was what I thought the the upshot was. Yeah, of him coming out, it was like you might get a guy who can make some ridiculously impressive throws, make some plays that no one else is going to make, but you're just going to get very inconsistent. And, and that was not really the guy we saw last like that. That's why last year, everyone, every single person on planet Earth was like, this is an anomaly. This is the, this is just, we have not seen things like this. This is like kind of the guy who is going to break the pocket and, and he's doing that a little so much more than you'd, yes, a little more than you'd like this year, but he's going to break the pocket and make throws that are just like, holy shit. What is like, no one on people on planet Earth can make that throw. You can count on one hand. But then he's going to, like this one, three turnover where he plays. He's got to just have some bonehead decisions, have some bouts of inaccuracy. So I think this was the guy that we, like I said, for best case scenario, this was what we had thought. But I, I do still think it's good enough with that receiving core. Oh, absolutely. And with how the way that this defense is playing right now to compete in the FC. I mean, they're, where would you rank them in the NFL right now? That's a good question. I... I still, like I said, I still think the Chiefs, Browns are better in the AFC. <sighs> NFC, probably the Bucks, Packers, Rams. So just outside the top five. Yeah. Six, seven. I mean, I think there's an argument for them being better potentially than the Browns. I'd still lean the Chiefs over the Bills. And the NFC, some people are calling the Arizona Cardinals best team in the NFL. I refuse. I'm not calling the Arizona Cardinals the best team in the NFL. I still think they were a lot better than what I expected. And Kyler Murray is on an MVP tear. We'll get to that game eventually. But the Bucs, in my opinion, even though it was a sloppy performance on Sunday night, are still the best team in the NFL. I still think the Bucs are the best team in the NFL. It was a very rainy game. Explained a lot of the kind of up and down, in my opinion, from Tom Brady. But let's not get into that game. Before we get to Bears-Lions... DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a week five offer every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game with $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot and millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. A minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
You wanted to bet the Lions. You bet the Lions. I did. You bet the Lions plus two and a half mm. on the road against the juggernaut that is Matt Nagy and Justin Fields. Yeah. They end up winning this game, and Justin Fields puts in low bar the best performance of his young career, and Matt Nagy yeah. supporting him as well. Your takeaways from this Bears win 24 14 over the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, the Lions are not a good team. It's still yeah, the one takeaway. The other takeaway is that they finally put Justin Fields in a position to succeed or did the things you have to do to alleviate the issues we've seen from Fields, like the fact that you have one of the worst pass-protecting offensive linemen in the NFL, offensive lines in the NFL. And he is a guy who has struggled with holding out of the football and struggled with blitz. So you have to give him options in those situations so that he doesn't get killed, so that he's not basically taking sacks, turn the ball over, that sort of thing. And now they leaned on the running game and them having a lot of success on the ground in this one, obviously always going to be a big help to a young quarterback to be put in favorable down in distances. So that's a big help for him. But then they also were chipping with tight ends every time they weren't going max pro. They were using utilizing the play action game more and not just play action, like boot action to actually get more guys in there to pass protect, longer developing downfield routes because that is where Justin Fields succeeded. He was one of the most accurate quarterbacks down the football field that we've charted in our seven years charting college football. That's a, that is his strength. That is why you draft him where you draft him is because he is so talented in that regard. And then he is mobile and has all these other things to him, but that is where he wins. And to go to try to alleviate like, so, so Joe Burrow, they tried to alleviate the bad offensive line year one by going empty sets and getting the ball out of his hand quickly. Cause that's how, where he wins. Justin Fields, that, that is not his game. That's what they tried to do week one, or I guess not week one. They, they tried his to do that against start. his first start by getting the ball out of his hands quickly, but that has never been him. So go the opposite route. I think they did a much, much better job in this one. And apparently Matt Nagy wasn't calling plays in this game. It was laser. build it laser. And so I think you saw it. You saw multiple impressive throws down the football field, the likes of which were commonplace at Ohio State too. So I do think very, very... Very encouraging if you're a Bears fan. Fields commented on Laser as a play caller after the game, saying he's more calm, you know, you know, collected. Where Matt Nagy's a little bit more frenetic and whatever. And he, he, yeah. I think he couched that well with like Matt Nagy's focusing on the defense and special teams. He's got a lot going on in his mind. Laser's able to work up in the booth. You know, Nagy's obviously on the field and like call these plays in a calm manner. And I yeah. think that maybe did help the Chicago Bears. The highest graded players in this one, Darnell Mooney, a 92.2 grade. He got a seed. Oh, from yeah. Justin Fields in this one. Allen Robinson also graded well in 85.0 grade. And J J Justin Fields, 75.5 PFF grade. In this I one. will still say, I am surprised. So Blitz on only eight of his 20 dropbacks. We've said he's struggled with Blitz dating all the way back to Ohio State. I'm surprised he didn't get Blitz more because 44.8 grade versus the Blitz in this one, 90.3 when not Blitz. That like... I think you're going to see that be the case. That was like when Northwestern hit him with it. Or Indiana hit him with it damn near every snap last year when he struggled in that game. Northwestern hit him with it a ton in the Big Ten Championship game. That has been kind of the book on him. So to go only eight times, and yeah, 40% is a lot compared to just like NFL average. When you got a young quarterback like that, I think you're going to see him get blitzed a lot in the future. Any takeaways? So obviously that one, a tendency that why did not why did Detroit not blitz more? But any takeaways on the offensive side of the ball for Detroit? It's an 0-4 start for a team that had, no one had high expectations for. They rank inside the bottom 10 in defensive EPA per play allowed and also offensive EPA per play. I mean, we just knew golf was not the answer. Like that, that was just kind of known. It was not going to be great. So it has been. We're on to Panthers at Cowboys. I, I mean, there was a certain point in this game 
where I think some people were calling Sam Darnold maybe a Super Bowl favorite because there was a lot of people excited about the start for the Panthers in this one. They ended up, however, losing late. Cowboys come back 36-28, dropped the Panthers to 3-1, whereas the Cowboys improved to 3-1 and 4-0 against the spread. I do think that the Cowboys are one of the more underrated teams in the FC. I think a lot of people are focusing on the Bucs, and rightfully so, but the Bucs, the Rams, the Cardinals, yeah. but the Cowboys are legit. Cowboys are legit for as long as Dak Prescott's healthy. This defense has improved close to average, if not slightly above average. Trayvon Diggs, fourth pick in four games, continues to keep that five picks in the season. Five picks on the season. Um, let's start with Dak Prescott in this offense. You know, Zeke actually had one of the more the better games we've seen from him in the last, you know, maybe two years. And Dak Prescott also turned in another above average game in this one i i'm all in on the cowboys as legit competitors in the nfc yeah i mean they are when you, whenever you have that level of offense and as talented as they are offensively yes you very much are contenders and i still i still have reservations about the defense but it looks like a different animal like they're at least have options of guys who can get pressure on opposing quarterbacks whether it's micah parsons uh, lining him up all over the place and utilizing him as a blitzer, whether it's Osa Digizua, who looks like one of the better rookie defensive tackles in the NFL. They have guys who are actually pressuring the quarterbacks, and that's even without uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, who hasn't played, or I don't know if he's coming back. I can't remember exactly. The broken foot, I think he'll be out for a while, but I think he is going uh, should be returning at some point this season. So I do think that when they are at full strength, now, I still don't think it's a good defense, but it's one that can at least make plays. And this was the classic, you know, this was such a classic Trayvon Diggs game in that he has two picks, but then gives up over 80 yards. Still doesn't grade out super well in coverage because uh, you got beat a couple other times that didn't get completed uh, in this game. So I, I do, though, at the end of the day, think that this is probably, so I mentioned the teams at the top of the NFC. You have Bucks, Packers, Rams. I would probably lean, and I know you talk about the Cardinals and how dynamic they are, and Kyler Murray should be an MVP frontrunner, but I'd lean Cowboys before Cardinals if I'm taking that fourth best team in the NFC. I don't hate that call at all. I mean, I think um, I'm buying more into Dak Prescott and what this offense could do. It's top five in EPA per play. Where, where are you at, though, on the other side of the ball with Sam Darnold? 16th in PFF grade so far this year is 73.3 PFF grade, and he's done it on a you know, relatively low average at the target. He has not you know forced the ball downfield a ton. He's also run the football a ton. I think he has five total rushing touchdowns yeah. so far this season. I think regardless of your opinion on how good he is in the NFL, this is obviously a vastly improved, more confident, more prepared Sam Darnold, and also one that is put in such a better position to succeed in this offense. Where, yeah. however, do you feel are still the concerns with Sam Darnold and why he hasn't maybe ascended to you know top 10, top five ranks? Uh, I mean, he's, he's never been particularly protective of the football. Like he plays a little fast and loose. You saw it in this game, just missing Trayvon Diggs on one of those uh, over routes. Like that's been the case throughout his career. I don't think a Tiger's ever, what's the saying? Zebra changes stripes. What's the? Tiger. Tiger? Tiger. He's t Tiger's not going to change stripes. <laughs> I don't think zebras do either. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any, wait, are there some animals that actually can change their stripes? I don't know, man. We're getting a little too in the woods. All right. Uh, so he, that, Sam Darnold is not the animal that changes the stripes, if there is one, though. And I think that's going to still be the case. You're going to live with multiple picks from him. You're going to live with bad decisions. But you're hoping he offsets it with the high end. I think that's the worry for me is that this isn't a particularly, like, explode. Like, he missed uh, the, the throw, the set about uh, Trayvon Diggs that he had a, you know, throw down the football field that got missed and that was an overthrow from Darnold that could have been a big play to I believe it was DJ Moore uh, down the field like he still is not as 
accurate down the football field as you would like. As the guy he was kind of billed at as USC, he was this playmaker who can make plays outside the pocket. We still haven't seen that come to fruition in the NFL. Those, you know, impressive downfield throws are still lacking from his game consistently. And I think the thing you kind of mentioned about like the decision making and he's always going to be playing, you know, loose, but he's also never been all that accurate with the football. And so far this year, he ranks yeah. outside the top 15 and accurate throw percentage according to PFF's ball charting. And that I don't think is going away. I don't care if he's with Joe Brady or Joe Montana. He's Are not you saying he's not going to change his stripes. I don't think he's going to change his stripes. Uh, I was going to call you Austin. I don't think he's going to change his stripes, That's you. Mike. Um, I think that I think that's going to ring true regardless of where he is. But I, however, regardless, he's in a better situation and improved because of it. I'm just not buying. You know, some people were calling the Panthers the best team in the NFL after week three. Some people were like, "Oh man, this defense is legit." Let's have Donald's improve. Joe Brady's the next freaking future Hall of Fame coach. And now, I hope people are jumping off that bandwagon slightly and more yeah. interested in the other fucking ton of teams that are good in the nfc like actually better than the carolina panthers the packers the bucks the rams the cardinals yeah. the cowboys that's where the nfc is not necessarily with here yeah the and the fans. cowboys punched them in the mouth defensively like they ran right through them and i think you saw that hey a lot of these statistics and a lot of these things that you hang your hat on at this point in the season are tiny sample sizes. It matters so much who you've played. Especially early in the season. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like that's, it matters so much who you have played at this point. So to say, oh, Panthers, maybe best defense in, best defense in the NFL, it's like a lot of teams are going to look good defensively when they play the schedule. Today. I mean, I love the stat, the broadcast. We're going to get, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to get this game eventually, but the Broncos played teams that were combined 0-9 in weeks one through three, and then obviously lost this game. And a lot of that was because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt and Drew Locke did not play well. Who could have saw that coming? Yeah. But we'll get to that game eventually. We'll Colts, Dolphins. Colts, Dolphins. Dolphins were favored by one and a half in this one. Colts win on the road. Jacoby Brissett has been such a massive downgrade for this team with Tua Tungabailoa hurt that it's almost impossible to be backing the Dolphins. As good as Brian Flores is, as good as this defense is, you see a lot of improvement from specifically Emmanuel Ogba, who I think has the second highest pass rush win rate of any edge defender in the NFL right now. But it's just not enough. It's not enough for just the sheer ineptitude on the offensive side of the ball. Jacoby Brissett, one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in week four, one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in the NFL so far in the times that he's played into a tongue of my lowest stead. Yeah, this is kind of one that I would say this says more about the Dolphins than not near not necessarily that much about the Colts. Like it's nice to see the Colts put up some points offensively against a defense that's pretty damn good in Miami, but it's also like it helps that Miami did dog shit on the offensive side of the ball. And there's really nothing worse as a fan and why I said I believe that the Miami Dolphins will be trading for Deshaun Watson sometime soon if Tua Tagovailoa comes back and doesn't look good, then just wasting a good roster. Like This is a good roster that's getting wasted uh, with a backup quarterback right now, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, and we'll we'll touch on it a little bit more in our fun to read segment later on. The seven highest graded players for the Miami Dolphins in this game were all on the defense side of the ball. The highest graded offensive player for Miami was Mike Kosicki at 68.4. That is an offense that's just not going to win football games. They lose this one 27-17. But some highlights again, Christian Wilkins with an 89.9 PFF grade. I already spoke to Ogba. He had an 86.5 PFF grade in this one. Byron Jones playing well. Like This defense has the dogs to do it. But offensively, when you're playing as bad as Jacoby Brissett is and as bad as the rest of this offense is, it's going to be hard to win football games. Even against the, what was a winless Colts team, that even them themselves, I don't think, like you said, 
impressed anyone. I mean, this was not an impressive win for the Indianapolis Colts. I think their defense played well and they made some plays. I think five turnover-worthy plays for yeah. Jacoby Brissett in this one. But offensively, which is where you win and lose football games, specifically deep in the postseason, they have shown no signs of backing. I'm not backing Carson Wentz. I'm not backing this offense. There's not enough there. I don't care how well Jonathan Taylor looks. This is not enough for me to back the Colts as a legitimate piece in the AFC. Well, and Eric Fisher still looked like an issue. 30.8 pass blocking grade in this one. And that was going up against mainly Jalen Phillips. Like Jalen Phillips got six pressures against Fisher alone. And that's, you know, hats off Jalen Phillips. Uh, it, that's a good performance for him as a rookie, but he hasn't looked that great at other, at other times this season. So uh, some of that is still the fact that Eric Fisher coming back from an Achilles may not be the guy of old. Before we get to this next game here, we're going to talk Browns at Vikings. Vikings were favored by two, or no, two-point dogs at home in this one. Tailgate is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. That's the helmet right there. Whoa. That's the helmet right there. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Built your first, building your first, oh, not building, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you Rest assured on game day, team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Let's get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Brown's favored by two in this one. It was one of our favorite bets. And even though it was freaking ugly, Baker Mayfield did not play well in this one. Brown's still win 14-7. They cover that two-point number there. Vikings dropped to one and three. Brown's now three and one. Let's start, though, with this Brown's offense. What the hell? Baker Mayfield was a fantasy darling. A lot of people liked him in this one. They thought he'd be putting up points. He did not. Did not perform well for my fantasy team either. Did not grade well all that all that well either. What was your concerns with Baker in this one? You know what? You know. Don't what say it. It was not that. You Odell Jr. was running. Odell Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. was running wide open on so many of those throws. That's not no. The Baker just played like ass. I know what I, it is. I you can't say that. What's your actual analysis? It actually is it. I mean, that's actually like, for. He does not. Then and then the one, the one that the, the throw at the very end, the third down, the kind of the wheel route. That one was on Odo Beck, in my opinion. Like to be continual the, when he doesn't get his head around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was that was not a great throw. It's not an ideal throw, but that play is there. Odell's got to recognize that hey, I'm wide the f open. Like get your head around and find the football at that point. Um, so that one, like you can actually play on Odell, but there is something to the. The connection is not there. And now I'm not putting it on Odell. It's honestly more on Baker Mayfield because he's the guy who's fucking missing all these throws and yeah, missing yeah. the connection. But there is something to when he is on the football field. They just do not mesh, and that offense does not look like it does when he is on the football field. And that's shit. At this point, with the sample sizes we have and going up against a defense like Minnesota's, that is not good. That should have been or has not played well this season we shall say just a 47.5 pff grade for baker mayfield in this one i think the the best way i mean it's a 47.5 pff grade second lowest of any quarterback so far this week but he didn't have a single turnover worthy play how does that happen a lot of inaccuracy i mean that is like that's what it was i mean you were you were missing guys that were open including guys that were odell beckham jr i don't know if it's the yips or whatever when odell beckham jr is on the field added pressure because he's whatever but that's what happened. I mean, if Baker Mayfield plays as inaccurately as he did against the Minnesota Vikings, the Browns are going to continue to struggle offensively and maybe only put up 14 points in every game this season. But you have to expect that to you know, possibly regress. Baker Mayfield, one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm not worried. I'm not like, oh, no. 
you yeah. know, starting to put the panic button on this Browns offense. It's still one of the better offenses in the NFL. This was just a, a bad week for Baker. But the bigger thing is, yeah, so I, I, I don't think this is like a I'd sign be more concerned. It could stuff. be the same grade, 47.5, 47.5. Zero turnover plays, but say this one was like three. I'm more concerned, obviously, with the one with zero. I mean, with the one with three turnover plays, because that is, you know, Baker Mayfield has had that tendency in the past. He is not consistently inaccurate with the football. Yes, I, I get on board with that. The bigger thing for me, though, this defense is a juggernaut, possibly in the in the AFC. Like going in this game against the Vikings offense that has been humming, pressured Kirk Cousins on over fifty percent of his dropbacks. They literally. They had no answer for Miles Garrett. They, they had to, they were doing every single money down. They just had to ship him, had to do something because he was winning every single time. And every level now of the defense, you have Greedy Williams making a pick in this game, finally showing up for once. You have Jeremiah Usukaramoa still making plays. Like best this player is, on the field? This, okay, no. Miles, Miles Garrett was the best player on the field. I don't think that one was debatable. But you just, you have it at, like I said, at every single level. You have guys that can win every single position along that defensive line that, this is a top, I'd probably say a top three defense in the NFL right now. I mean, they're playing like that. And when you can get pressure at the rate that they can with Miles Garrett up front, Javon Clowney also playing really well against the run. He continues to grade as one of the better run defenders at the edge position. Jeremiah Wuskormoa, yes, that was hyperbole about being the best player on the field. But he's the highest grade linebacker in the NFL so far this season. Among all linebackers, at least 100 snaps played. And he has been flying to the football, making plays, making these explosive plays at a position where especially over the past you know three to five years young linebackers struggle yeah. i mean devin white struggled devin bush struggled patrick queen jordan brooks and who's cormo was battling the COVID list for most of the preseason slash offseason for him to come in and make the impact that he is now i think is really impressive a lot of that is sheer explosiveness though because i do think he can fire out of a cannon man some of his best plays are him going from one part of the field to the next faster mm -hmm. than anyone else can so Musa Cormo looking like a very legit player for the Browns defense and a steal in that regard. Giants at Saints. Saints favored by eight in this one. Never loved that line. Never loved that line. I did for the Giants. Yeah, for the Giants. Yeah, yeah. Giants. Giants end up covering this one and winning outright. You brought up what I was asking in the car about the Lions. Well, I was also like, I think I like the Giants money line. Yeah. It was like plus 300 or something. And I'm like, I kind of like that. I, you talked me out of it. I ended up just going giant spread and then they end up winning over time. But my biggest takeaway from this, the saints just have to, they, they have to open it up. Like they have to trust Jameis at some point. If you're this tight as an offense, a 39 to 26 run pass ratio, which is damn near unheard of in this day and age in the NFL. No team's running at a higher percentage than the Saints. Yeah, to be that run heavy. And I, like I said, I get it. You don't want to throw away games. You have a good roster. You have a good defense. But you are 2-2 two and two now. You're, you're in a division in an NFC that, you know, 9-8 nine, nine and eight ain't cutting it. Like, if you're in that range, it's just not cutting it. You have to win games through the air at some point, and you don't have a great receiving core with Michael Thomas out. Like, there are a lot of things. I get it. I get it. I get it. But this game is close because of that. Jameis Winston played well. 17-23, 226 yards. But the 23 drop, or 26 dropbacks, but or no, was it 24 dropbacks for Jameis. That's, that's just not going to, you're not going to have an explosive offense at that point when you're running that much. So, you're going to you're that's a recipe to have sneakily drop a game like this and they did 
I mean, I would argue not too much has even changed since their blowout of the Green Bay Packers. That was still a very run-heavy pr- approach yeah. where they got a lot more on the ground. And the, you know, the big touchdowns that Jameis had were on very limited dropbacks. They're still running the football the same amount. When those big plays don't happen, which are volatile in nature and that they're so downfield and it's harder to be more accurate with football and keep the ball out of harm's way, that's a concern. What is your opinion of this? They, I don't, here's the take. They either open it up and keep Jameis Winston as a starter, throw the football more, throw the football downfield, and yes, accept the more turnovers that come with that, but also more explosive plays. Or if they're going to stay so fucking run heavy, why not just play Taysom Hill? Yeah. Like play play Taysom Hill if you're going to run the football on 50% of downs and not push the ball downfield. Because Taysom Hill, obviously you saw the deep ball in this game, doesn't have the arm talent to be you know that, that, that good down the field, but he can hit the underneath stuff and he has that rushing threat. You know, if you really are, like 39 and 26 is insane. If, you, if that's what it's going to be, yes, uh, that that's your better option because that makes your running game a lot, lot better. We one one more thing. One more thing I'll mention in this game. I have one more thing. Oh, what's your one more thing? Who's the second highest grade quarterback in the NFL in passing grade? Oh, I'm guessing it's Daniel Jones. It's Daniel Jones. He's also fourth in overall PFF grade behind Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, and Kyler Murray. I said it for three weeks straight. He has not been the reason the Giants have been losing freaking football games. He has been good but has had game-ending mistakes in some of these games that they've lost. Very you know, hard to overcome turnovers with the state of their defense. But in this one, very high PFF grade, looked apart, did have the interception, but still an 86.9 grade for th- through four weeks has played really well for the Giants. The shitty thing about that, though, if you're a Giants fan, and it was like, yeah, you love that he's playing well. You're still 1-3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're a 1-3, and he's played exceptional football. So that's worrisome. Here's what I was going to say. You know the sec. You know who the highest graded second year tackle in the NFL is Andrew Thomas. It's Andrew Thomas. <laughs> one pressure allowed in this one. He's been fantastic. I'll say it. We were right. We were right. Oh, no, no. Four weeks in. <laughs> no. Four weeks in. You better I'm bite not your tongue. It, but, bite your tongue. Uh, but either but way, he's, he's looked kind of like the, the guy conversations we we're going to have about the Giants draft selection this offseason when they do finish maybe with three, four, five wins. Uh, they could do better than that. Maybe it's seven, eight wins. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to be in the quarterback market though especially with this quarterback class. They're going to keep Daniel Jones, continue to move forward there, and have to. They have to try and find some ways to add more talent to other positions. Specifically, I think, in the skill player skill player position, Kadarius Tony has not had the impact I'm sure they expected. That's Evan so Ingram, they that's gave the, Evan Ingram that part, end though. around in the red zone. Dude looked as fast as Kyle Rudolph. He has yeah. fallen off a cliff. Like, there is not a lot of... And Sterling Shepard obviously didn't play in this game. There's not a lot of, like, dyna- dynamism there you go. at Good skill... Word. At, at the skill player position. But that's tough when it's like, oh, you have a first-round pick or running back. You have a first-round pick at tight end. You have your first-round pick now at wide receiver, and you have two wide receivers that you've paid big money to. And, and, it's like, and that's it. an issue? That's so always... Guess, you know. guess where that finger is getting pointed at that point. Uh, we know. <laughs> All right, Titans at Jets. Jets, seven-and-a-half-point dogs at home, and they win outright. Dog Zach cities. Dog York. season. It's dog season. Mm. No, it's not. Jets win outright in this one and end up you know, beating... A good Tennessee Titans team, Ryan Tannehill has already said, is one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL. Zach Wilson, easily the best performance of his career. They win in overtime, 27-24. That's what the Titans get for playing for a tie. In in regulation and then again in in OT. You got got bit in the butt for conservatism. But let's start with Zach Wilson. How impressed were you from this performance? I mean, I thought this was going to be a more regular occurrence, these kind of games for him. Four big time throws, three turnover really plays. Live with the good and the bad, but like he actually looks like an NFL quarterback. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick E performance from him in this game. I, I thought we'd see more of these instead of just the disasters that we've seen at times 
so far from him this rookie season. So uh, the play outside the pocket, 60 yards in the air to Corey Davis, that was sick. Uh, I mean, a number of just awesome throws from him. And now it also coincided with the fact that this was his least pressured game as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Only 11 pressure dropbacks on of his 37, far and away the lowest rate he's faced all season. So that, you know, obviously when Mekhi Becton gets back out, that's the biggest thing that you're going to need to see from him is that don't add more pressure to yourself above and beyond the offense line. And when there is some, don't make those disastrous decisions. So hopefully that's what we see from him more going forward. And you can win with this risky, you know, out of, you know, kind of dependent out of structure play. Look at the fucking Buffalo Bills. I'm not saying Zach Wilson is Josh Allen, but when you have that style mm -hmm. of quarterback, that kind of gunslinger mentality, if you have guys making plays downfield and he's in some ways limiting some of the obvious boneheaded errors, you can win games like this where you go in OT and you come out on top as a seven and a half point dog at home. A lot of encouraging stuff in this game from Zach Wilson. For the Titans, this defense, I think, continues to look, it continues to get under the magnifying glass. It's one of the, one of the low-performing defenses in the NFL, and I think that is just not enough. Like, you going against this Jets team at seven and a half point favorites, I think, need to show up a lot more to have the success that he had, was, or the lack of, was, was a bigger concern for me. Yeah, I mean, they're, I'm not worried about them in the AFC South. It's more like I'm worried about them when as, we're as going. contenders. Contenders. Because, one, offensive line is an issue. Like, uh, this offensive line has not been great in pass protection. Bottom 10 in pass protection. Nate Davis, the right guard we loved coming out of Charlotte, who we said is going to need to be completely rebuilt in terms of pass protection. Well, he allowed nine pressures in this game. He has been an issue, I think. Yes, some of that's going to be mitigated when you do have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones healthy. They did not play in this game. That is a huge factor. That is why, you know, Tannehill took seven sacks. Five of them were on third downs because third down, man coverage, no one's getting open. They just don't have the guys. So you're missing your two best, two of the best wide receivers yeah. in the NFL. Like, that's going to be the case. That's not always, you know, I think that's a little bit more of an anomaly. I'm not going to take any big sweeping takeaways from that. But I do still think pressure will continue when you face some of the better defenses in the NFL with that offensive line. Let's jump to Chiefs at Eagles. One of my favorite bets yeah. of the weekend. This I one went like exactly how we said, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Chiefs. I loved Chiefs Eagle. I love Chiefs minus seven against the Philadelphia Eagles. Did not start off as we wanted, but they end up do winning, covering that number 42-30. They're now two and two on the season, one and three against the spread. This was their first cover of the year. And for Kansas City... I, there's still a lot of concerns in the trenches on both sides of the ball. But as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and, and in this game, Tyreek Hill, you can put up 40. I mean, Tyreek Hill was like legitimately unguardable. The play that he almost scored where they called him out like right at the one, like mm -hmm. outran like six different Eagles. It was absurd. He is a legitimate rare talent in the NFL that can yeah. flip games for you. And I think he did in this one. And um, the Eagle, it was just too much for the Eagles to overcome. If there was any surprise, it was how well the Chiefs offensive line played. You have an offensive line with rookies at center, right guard, glorified rookie at tackle. And they allowed only nine pressures on 36 dropbacks. Like those guys were manhandling too in the running game. Like it, you were saw, seeing double teams from Humphrey and... Uh, Trey Smith, right guard there, uh, on like Javon Hargrave taking him off the ball. Like those those guys were playing out of their mind in this game. I, I think that was the, if there was any surprise, it was that because just didn't believe the Eagles were ever going to have the firepower to go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes. Like you can run the ball all they want. And they got you know, over 100 yards on 15 carries in this game Philly did offensively. But that's not going to be enough. I don't care. You have to be more efficient than that. 
and especially with, you know, not the greatest secondary there in Philadelphia, not the greatest back seven that you just wouldn't trust to go to shut down or slow down Patrick Mahomes at all. And I think we just kind of saw that. And what you said about the offensive line is evident in the grading profile. Tyreek Hill was the highest graded player for the Chiefs, but after that, Creed Humphrey. 92.5 92.5 PFF grade, the rookie center out of Oklahoma. Joe Tooney, the guard, 90.4 that they signed in free agency. And then Trey Smith, rookie, 85.4 PFF grade for the Kansas City Chiefs. That is, if they they play like that, and it's not going to be easy to do every single week, they play like that, that's going to be easy sledding for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. What has been your opinion now through four weeks of Jalen Hurts? Just a 66.2 PFF grade in this one. He obviously started the week out strong, but or started the season out strong, but on a very schemed approach by the offense. Yeah. I think that's still continue. That's still going to be how, how they have to win. I don't think Jalen Hurts is this. You know, we talk a lot about these quarterbacks that are gunslingers and went out of structure. I think that he needs he needs to win within the confines confines of the offense, and that just wasn't enough to beat the Chiefs. Yeah, it, he's still he's not a liability. I, I wouldn't put him in that sort of category. Like there are quarterbacks around the NFL that are losing their team's games. That's not been Jalen Hurts but I still don't think he is a guy that can push the ball down the field mm-hmm. consistently enough. I mean, and accuracy is bottom 10 in the NFL, if not bottom yeah, eight. The, the accuracy is just an issue with him. So it, that's the biggest thing. I mean, the, the one guy I do want to talk about, though, that no one's really touched on because it's, it is four games in, but Fletcher Cox has done nothing this year. He has, he has five pressures in four games. Yikes. Didn't have a single pressure in this game. He has a 54.6 overall grade. And now that was a downturn we kind of saw last year. He goes from 89.5 overall grade in 2019 to 74.1 in 2020. He's almost 31 years old. And this is a guy who in his prime was a, I don't want to say only had one move, but he was bull rush, bull rush, bull rush. It was, I am more explosive than you. Because he was 310 pounds coming on Mississippi State, ran a 479. He was one of the, the rarest athletes at the defense stack position we've seen in the last decade or so. And if you lose that step, if you lose that inbuilt physical advantage and that was your move, that was your go-to, what you hung your hat on, I I think that might be, I won't say that's it for Fletcher Cox, but that uh, the Fletcher Cox that led this D-line, you know, him, when it was him and Brandon Graham, they were so dominant, just isn't walking through that door. And it's kind of gotten masked because Javon Hargrave's playing so well, but Cox may not be the Cox of old. Maybe it's not over curtains for Cox, but it's definitely fading. I think all signs are pointing to yeah. it fading at the very least. Cardinals... Rams, one of the more anticipated games of the weekend. I think this line closed. But then it was like not a good game at all. Then it was not a good game at all. Um, or enjoyable game. I mean, obviously, if you're a Cardinals fan, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> Rams closed, I think, as four-point favorites at home. And Arizona goes in and dominates. I mean, Kyler Murray, and they ended up playing, playing really away late. But I'd say the start for this one was really surprising, too. Like, Kyler Murray was lighting them up. They put up 21 points really early in this game. He continues to look every bit as the MVP yeah. of the season. He, he has to be the MVP if you're starting ending it right now. And you can say Derek Carr, he hasn't played this week. We'll see on Monday night. But Kyler Murray, season ends right now. He is your MVP. They're 4-0 on the season. Seth Galina, an analyst here at PFF, is writing an article on how much of this is Kyler and how much mm-hmm. of this is Cliff and this supporting cast. When you look at some of the grading, he's the highest graded quarterback out of structure so far this season. Out of rhythm dropbacks, he's up there in like the top five among in terms of volume. He's doing a lot of this out of structure, out of the confines of the offense. But also, the offense isn't like a liability. It's not like he has to bail out for anything to make happen. I still think that Cliff, even Cliff, has improved uh, through. I mean, you're not you're not four zero unless Cliff has also improved within that that structure as well. Yeah, I, I I am impressed. I am 
pumping the brakes a touch. I still Hesitant. Think the, de- the defense is still, I don't want to say an issue. I'm still just like worried. I, I still think they're maybe a little bit, tad bit overperforming. And now I, I love the edge duo. I mean, I love Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt. That is, they you can hang your hat on that game in, game out. That's great. I still, and me as draft analyst, love that Byron Murphy cornerback and Jalen Thompson safety are making plays because I super high on those guys coming out thought they would be good but I still just think to- as in totality they're still talent wise below a lot of the other contenders in the NFC on that side of the ball so pump the brakes but man offensively this is this is an explosive explosive offense and, and now they'll come back down to earth a little bit Kyler Murray is 13 of 18 on deep passes so far this season. That is an utterly absurd, unsustainable rate of big plays that he has made through the air. It will at some point shrink up, but shit, hasn't yet. Four, four weeks in against some damn good teams. So hats off to them. This is, dare I say, a fun to watch football team. Oh, obviously it's fun. I mean, Kyle Murray <laughs> is, is probably a fun, fun to watch Hall of Fame. I, I would yeah. argue, though, I would kind of counter your take on the defense. I agree that the defense isn't, you know, otherworldly, but I don't think it has to be. I mean, putting up 37 on this Rams team, yeah. that is not easy to do. We, yeah. I talked a ton about how good this Rams defense was and or still is. I'm not saying it's, it's not over for the Rams <laughs> defense, but that's it. Um, I, think, I think the offense is good enough, specifically a healthy Kyler Murray is good enough for them to overcome the defensive struggles. It's not yeah. a liability, is it? It's not the fucking Chiefs, you know, but it is improve it's, it is you know it can can be an average to above average defense and that's all they need to be if Kyler Murray one stays healthy and two his supporting cast does not lose um you know obviously they stay healthy as well mm-hmm. I think it's injuries for me that will keep the Arizona Cardinals from having the gas pedal down because if you go back to last year you know they were looking similarly hot to start the season then Kyler Murray was playing hurt for really pretty much the whole back half of the season and completely did not look the same if he can continue to play like this, which I think he can as long as he's healthy, this Arizona Cardinals team is legit. And the only caveat is, is that they're very legit and a damn good NFC with mm-hmm. a ton of really talented teams, the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, the Cowboys, all those teams playing really well right now. They're in that tier of really good NFC teams with a really good quarterback and Kyler Murray. Seahawks at 49ers. 49ers favored by three. Jimmy Jick gets hurt. I think it was a calf strain. Did not play. Did not end up playing the second half and the Seahawks honestly pulled away pretty easily. You know, the offense yeah. took a step back with Trey Lance in, obviously didn't get the reps going into this one. Um, and I, I don't think anyone, you know, we, I think we backed the 49ers on the preview episode with Jimmy G hurt and having to throw Trey Lance in. I still think that the Seattle Seahawks, if Jimmy G stayed could have even won that game. I think I was impressed with how uh, Russell Wilson performed. Yeah. I mean, the 49ers just, I think you saw in this game that, yeah, Jim G only played one half, but it just doesn't seem like he's enough to compete. He was enough when you had this juggernaut defense, and that is not what they have this year. He's not enough when you are, like you just mentioned, in maybe the best division in football, and you have guys capable of lighting up scoreboards like Kyler Murray is. You have Kyler Murray in your division, you're starting Jimmy G. Yeah, and Russell Wilson. Like You just see the difference in playmaking ability and what those guys bring to the table. That The... the Touchdown pass Wilson had to was Lockett, the one where he sneaks out the back door. That's just like, Jimmy G ain't making that play. And that's why you drafted Trey Lance. That's why you did. But Trey Lance is a rookie who's played, who had played one game previously in the year and a half prior to this. And it was at North Dakota State against Central Arkansas, right? It was, it wasn't, it's not going to be good. Like if you expected him to come in here and look like a savior, 
sort of disappoint you that was never that was not what a 21 year old who coming from fcs is going to look like coming uh year one even With like no the, reps. yeah even the big touchdown throw like shit he almost missed that like the, <laughs> the busted coverage almost sailed out of bounds so there is it's just if jimmy g is going to miss time if it's going to be trey lance's you're going to turn the keys over i think you can like put the curtains on their playoff hopes even at that point that's not i don't think that's an awful take i mean with jimmy g too among quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks he's the only one who had a big time throw this season yeah not a lot of downfield success not a lot of accuracy and over 53 percent of his passing yards have come after the catch you know bottom five with guys like jalen hurts jared goff those go hand in hand with the offense but it's also like you Shanahan's calling those because he doesn't trust them down the field. Yeah. He doesn't trust them to you know make those big time throws. Those go hand in hand in offense with an offense that just can't compete. Like I mean, that's True. an offense that can't compete with the best offenses yeah. in the NFL. And um, as we know from last year and in, really over the last three or five years, the best offenses in the NFL went deep in the postseason or at least mm-hmm. compete in the postseason. Ravens at Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater goes down. And he gets dinged in this one. Concussed. Drew Lock comes in, and it was never a doubt after that. Ravens win this mm, one. Yeah. Pretty handedly impressed with what Lamar Jackson Marquise Brown continues to have success too they went 23 to 7 as one point dogs on the you road you can't just say continues Denver. to have success after he dropped like a zillion balls last well, year he's uh, okay he needs he's, to get open he's, he's getting open he's getting it. open a lot he's getting open yeah. a lot I think he, this is about a relatively bounce back year for him after what was an underwhelming season for Marquise Brown yeah I I admit I, I thought the Broncos offense would look better even when Teddy Bridgewater was in there and now I get that the the Ravens are are difficult in what they throw at you. I don't care who you are, but Teddy, if there's any silver lining for Broncos fans, that I don't think Teddy shrunk into a ball and started checking down. He was still attacking down the football field, but it's also why Teddy is kind of limited is because he wasn't accurate with the ball down the football field. He wasn't making special throws with it. He had that one go ball late in the first quarter that was just he sailed it like five yards out of bounds when he had like a chance to make a play, and that's kind of been the thing over the course of his career is that when the chips are down, when you need that big throw, he just hasn't been able to make it. So that was a little concerning, obviously, um, but kind of just a game where nothing went right seemingly for the Denver Broncos. Are you hitting the panic button on the Broncos, the formerly undefeated Broncos? <laughs> they, no. A lot of people were excited about this Broncos team. I'm Teddy excited Bridgewater's about the Broncos team. I, I am, and, and I'll be more excited when Jerry Judy comes back because I think that was – a bit of what they're missing in this game is that blitz man you need someone open quick a lot of times against that against what the ravens were throwing at you and like Corlin's not a great wide receiver he is not i mean shit not a lot of guys get open as quickly as jerry judy is capable of so i think they definitely were missing his services and will continue to until he does come back a small a blip of a highlight for this Broncos team, despite losing this game, Javante Williams had that run that was just absolutely absurd. He yeah. is, he is, I think, has one of the highest broken tackle rates in the NFL after having the highest one. Oh, I think the highest broken tackle rate in the FBS yeah. this past season. He is a forced missed tackle machine for the Denver Broncos. He was also their highest graded player in this game. Steelers at Packers. This is also one of my you know favorite bets. Was not I know. Um, the, pa- the Packers in this one, I felt, were up and down. I didn't think, you know, they should have maybe blown them out. But they yeah. end up they still end up winning 27-17. I like them at minus seven. Packers do win this one handily. And the biggest takeaway, man, in addition to Aaron Rodgers looking great and Devontae Adams and all that stuff, oh, my God, Big Ben is getting into a getting to a point where it's almost unwatchable. 
And I think you're seeing that frustration on the sideline. I don't know if Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster slamming down that iPad was fully directed at Big Ben, but some of the throws that you know we're yeah. seeing from Big Ben, just the the like the lack of explosiveness from the offense, specifically the passing offense, I do think is concerning enough and frustrating enough to feel completely out on Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, uh, that was just that was bad again. Like f- probably about four big misses of open guys and it's like oh you can say the Packers defense looked better than in the past in some ways they did but a lot of it's because the big plays that were there were missed much of the game uh, by Big Ben so yeah the Steelers offense I just have no confidence in that turning around anytime soon Uh, the worry here is for the Green Bay Packers that if Jair Alexander misses some time and now he hurt his shoulder in that AC joint injury you are down bad at cornerback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Stokes in this one, 15, targeted 15 times. They were just going at him left and right. 10 catches, 82 yards, could have allowed two more. He was he was the victim on a couple of those big misthrows from Big Ben. So he did not grade well in this one. If you guys throwing out Kevin King and Eric Stokes, if that's your starting cornerback duo for any stretch of time, I would be worried. I, I think this defense has always this been defense. concerning, though, even with Jair Alexander healthy. Yeah. I think what has to happen... For the Green Bay Packers, is Aaron Rodgers in this offense needs to be one of the best in football. Because I don't think this Packers defense is going to turn anything around anytime soon, even if Jair Alexander does come back healthy. I think Aaron Rodgers needs to lead a top three offense in the NFL. And I know they have injuries along the offensive line. Um, I, I still think that Aaron Rodgers needs to continue to kind of press that gas pedal down. He needs to be back on that MVP horse. We saw him last year. For them to still be in this conversation of obviously that tier one team in the NFC. Here's a stat. The four lowest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL are rookies and Big Ben. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Davis Mills. And then Big Ben is the 32nd-ranked quarterback in the NFL. And PFF grade among those with at least 100 dropbacks. What do the Steelers do? I think you have to cross your fingers that you continue to lose football games and maybe put yourself in a position to get a quarterback. But then you look at this 2022 class. I mean, you don't even have a quarterback ranked, what, top 10 yeah. on your draft board? Like. Yeah. Then it's like how how necessary is it to you know have to make that play? Well, I was that's what I was saying is you hope you're almost you, you just hope you're in the market for an Aaron Rodgers or Sean Watson. I mean, you saw the Mike Tomlin smile. Yeah, like that's that's every every Steelers fan. That was probably the highlight of yesterday <laughs> was Mike Tomlin smiling at Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers smiling back. That was literally the only thing you can hang your hat on after. Dude, that. Aaron Rodgers to Pitt would be pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> in the Green Bay Packers shirt. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I do think, though, I, I I will say this as a Packers fan, that was not offsides on that field goal. That no, was, it, was that was not, it was not offsides. But also, Rashawn Gary was not offsides on the touchdown of Jay Alexander, so it evens out. That's even. That's fair as fair, though. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> um, the Probably the most anticipated game of the weekend ended up being a relative dud to expectations. It was obviously still exciting. There were some ha- a handful of big plays, but the rain, I think, played a big factor. Yeah. It slowed everyone down. You know, and I think also you saw Tom Brady miss throws he does not normally miss. I think everyone and their mother was blaming emotions for that. I was like the one guy in the corner saying, like, wait a second, it's raining like a mother. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, wait, can we actually, it's not, he's not, he's, oh, he's just too excited. It's like, dude, wait, he's a grown man. <laughs> it's the, everyone has to put a narrative. That's true. It's create a narrative. The narrative I was backing was that it was raining like cats and dogs out there. It's so, a good narrative. Um, I don't know how true it was. Bucks, Bucks at Pates, Pates, Patriots, Patriots were um, seven point dogs at home. The Bucks go in, they don't cover the seven. But they do win this football game. I thought Tom Brady still looked impressive, even though he missed on a handful of throws. And defensively, this Bucks run defense is 
not going anywhere. It is so good. They are limiting yards before contact at the best rate of any team in the NFL. And on the back end, as they continue to go to like six, seventh, you know, Pierre Desir plays games and you know played snaps in this one because you saw mm-hmm. um, Carlson Davis go down with a non-contact injury on, on a special teams play. Richard Sherman signed off the street to come play, and he ends up starting in this one. I think there are obvious concerns in the secondary, but honestly, I don't think it's enough to bring this Bucks team down. As long as they have Tom Brady, who I'll remind you is the highest grade quarterback in the NFL and a defense that can legitimately make every offense they play one dimensional. Like there is no panic button in sight for me on the Bucks. I still think they're the best team in the NFL. Yeah. I will say the Carlton Davis injury. I'd, I'd be worried if on the Bucks. that that's been your guy. That's been a number one type of cornerback. He is. And that can cover up a lot of issues elsewhere. So kind of what I just literally said about the Packers, I'd be worried to some degree about the box, but not as much because like you said, this run defense is insane. The Patriots did that classic thing that they used to do with Brady when they knew that the running game was not going to work. They just don't run. 46 dropbacks to eight runs. And it's interesting to see that they're already putting that kind of trust in a quarterback in Mac Jones. And I thought that's a very difficult position. That's about the hardest position to be in as quarterback is when you know everything has to be on you. And so, yeah, he's checking it down and not creating a lot of explosive plays. And really the offense was... Uh, pretty stagnant for much of the game. But he also didn't throw the game away. He also had them, you know, gave them a 56-yarder to win at the end. So I I thought, all things considered, Mac Jones, that was an encouraging performance from him as a rookie, but you were just going up against the goddamn, like, that's Bucks team is difficult. And that's why they're difficult is because when one thing is kind of off for a game, another thing won't be. And so you have to play that damn near perfect game to beat them. Final preview for the Raiders-Chargers game. Chargers are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home in L.A. I think I'm all in on the Raiders plus three-and-a-half. Yeah, I have sprinkled some on the money line. I think that's more being a homer and being mm. from Oakland. Yeah. But I think three-and-a-half actually plus three-and-a-half is actually a good bet. That's also backed by PFF Greenline, which you can get on PFF.com with your lead subscription. Derek Carr is playing. I mean, he turns in a good performance here. He's the only quarterback with over 350 passing yards in each of the first few weeks first three weeks he turns in another good performance here and wins this game he is toe-to-toe with kyler murray for mvp right now yeah i i i, I will say i again derwin james against darren waller is a is a good matchup for the Chargers. kind of what i said about the Chargers going up against the chiefs like that's a good guy to have against these tight ends of nowadays so maybe from that perspective the charge defense can slow down but that's I still think Derek Carr, I still, like I said, this offense, how explosive it is, I don't trust him that much. So I'm still leaning Raiders. Before we get to our last few segments here, fun to read, fun to watch, watch, cake your pants, rookie of the week, et cetera. It's football season, baby, and you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join 2 million men worldwide, myself included, Renner included who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. I mean, I've used the lawnmower 4.0 and I don't think I've been in a better position than I am now. I sit differently. I stand differently. I enter bars differently. And honestly, I don't think I'm ever going to go back unless they come Confidence out with the 5.0 an all-time high. I would just continue to follow suit and they got, you know, all that you need. The brand new lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7000 RPM motor 
A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when you need more precise shave. Did I mention the trimmer is also waterproof? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out of the playoffs this year with Manscaped. Your favorite pun in that. I think uh, it was the last one. Actually, I don't know. The defense was a good one. You like that? Yeah. All right. Let's get to the final segments here. Fun to read. This one comes from courtesy at Boston Dolphins. I don't know. Who is this guy, Mike? I don't know. He has like 4,000 followers. I wasn't necessarily sure, but it was all over Twitter. Oh, I'll day. read the bio too. And so. Diehard Dolphins and Red Sox fan of 12 years. College football fanatic, fantasy football nerd, UMass Lowell baseball. That's oh, UMass Lowell baseball 20, 2027. This dude's a child. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Well, still, let's dunk him. All right, Jacoby. <laughs> <laughs> still, let's dunk him. Jacoby Brissett is not, is not a great NFL quarterback, but he gives the Dolphins a better chance to win than Tua. He's tougher, calmer, and has a higher football IQ. He's just throwing shit out. The, tougher and calmer and higher football IQ than Tua? I, I hate when people IQ. throw out wrongfully yeah. higher Just football terms. IQ. Yeah, like football IQ. It's like, dude, are you sure? I don't Undefinable feel... terms throwing out is just always. And making veteran decisions. That was the worst part of it. He's yeah. tougher, calmer, and has a higher football IQ, IQ and makes veteran decisions that Tua isn't capable of making. Hashtag fans up. <laughs> I thought this guy might have been a real. My bad. I, I, he was like quote tweeted by like three Dolphins writers is why I thought it was like a maybe a real Still other Dolphins dumb. writer. But that was... It was fun to read. I mean, it's just... It's perfect. The Jacoby Brissett had five turnover-worthy plays yesterday. Jacoby Brissett has been a starter in the NFL on three different occasions now with two different teams and has had more turnover-worthy plays than Big Ten throws every single stop. But where in the your, graded, your grades shows up toughness? IQ, calmness. yeah, I know. That's yeah. on you. Hey, uh, for next week, can we make sure it's not a child? I don't want to dunk children every time, if that's possible. All right, fun to watch, watch. We have an inductee. Hall of Fame inductee on the fun to watch watch. Go ahead and give it. Yeah. I mean, he was first mentioned by Colin Coward, if you'll recall, a couple weeks ago on fun to watch watch. But now we have multiple guys here. We have Barstool Big Cat getting in the mix saying Taylor Heineke plays like he's on drugs and it's so much fun to watch. And then we also have this guy is Marshall Warham. Heineke is a hell of a competitor and fun to watch. He's also not the long-term answer. Both things can be true. That's a realistic, actually, very take. But that means three fun-to-watches for Taylor Heineke officially inducting him into the fun-to-watch hall. I love it. I love it. Taylor Heineke officially fun-to-watch. You have here your anti-cake-your-pants moment of the weekend. Yeah. So normally this is a cake-your-pants moment, a.k.a. a fun moment, a yeah. great moment. This one's not. But I had a bad Saturday because I, for the life of me, can't understand why I did this in retrospect. <laughs> I invited five UC fans to come with me to a Notre Dame-UC game, which is... I was like, oh, they're my friends. It'll be fun. It'll be cool until UC's up, what, 17 nothing at halftime? Yeah. And Austin's over here losing his fucking mind. <laughs> like, he's been at a UC like a lifer. lifer. Like, like, your dad is Luke Fickle, <laughs> and this is like your livelihood depends on it. You're literally screaming at people in the stands uh, doing the Bearcats chants. <laughs> and I just walked up and left at halftime. I left. I didn't tell them where I was going. I walked. I did a lap around the stadium. I uh, came back, cleared my head, and did all I could not to actually murder you. I was, I was being a piece of shit. 
I got to be honest. I was wearing the Travis Kelsey jersey. I didn't care really who won, but it was so much more fun to root against Notre Dame than it was to root with Notre Dame because everyone there was just loser. I mean, there's a bunch of old people just being just okay. being lame. Well, you were the only one who's even cheering in our section. I was pretty. You were cheering. You were the only one cheering. Everyone else was I like, was very disappointed. The other guy behind me thought a drop pass was a fumble. They all deserved it. The best the best comment I made was when um, they were clapping on like a 10-yard kick return. And I was like, sit your ass down. You guys are down 17. I got the bad death stare there. But uh, that was a fun game. I had fun. That was a kick your pants moment for me. Rookie of the week. We mentioned him earlier. Creed Humphrey, center for Kansas City Chiefs. 92.5 PFF grade in this one going against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and got to give honorable mention to Trey Smith. They were the two highest graded rookies this past week. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Cannot say enough about what the Chiefs did revamping that offensive line over the course of this offseason. Those guys playing out of their minds. Last but not least, blackout. Oh. Performance to forget. Oh, my goodness. It was Paulson Adebo. Now, third-round corner. You're not expecting that guy to start. He's obviously been starting since day one. 174 yards allowed in this one. He gave up the big play to John Ross. He had two more missed tackles. And then he had the big busted, busted coverage on the very last, uh, the play that set up the final, the game-winning score in overtime. It was basically why you teams worry about starting rookies at cornerback position. I guess I said last but not least, but we have to give the tailgate score. Tailgate score. Highlight, can I give my highlight? Yeah. So a highlight was definitely cheering the game. I also okay. thought another highlight was the pregame tailgate. Notre Dame tailgates. I'll look at the camera. Notre Dame tailgates are perfect if you want to go to a tailgate you need a bunch of fire-free food. Yeah. Because everyone Foods. there is like 30, 35 plus and has been going to Notre Dame games since they were like 18 mm -hmm. and goes to put on a show. Whereas you go to some of these other tailgates we've been on where it's more you know, college student driven, yeah. you're lucky to find a spare Miller Lite in the cooler, yeah. let alone a hot dog. Here, they, were, they had these like, I had a chocolate dipped, hand dipped peanut butter cookie, mm -hmm. full spread of Chipotle, multiple brats every single tailgate i went to offered me a brat yeah. and every cooler chock full of cold beers we were we were shotgunning high noons this place had free alcohol free food across the board whereas other tailgates they don't i think that's a big driver in yeah. the high tailgate score the rowdiness not up there with no. anywhere like they're just you're not going to see someone go through a table i, mean, I was playing catch with like a child for like yeah well, you're not going to do that at penn state but you also a guy one of my buddies from notre dame puts on a tailgate that has an open bar Literally, they have bartenders serving and has a buffet. So, like, there they are tailgates there that uh, are fantastic uh, in terms of the spreads that you'll see. But, yeah, the rowdiness isn't there. The setup is a little difficult in that there's not bars super close. There's maybe two bars walk, like, imminently walkable to campus. And they have – the line was absurd at one point. If you were – we literally left the game before it ended because we knew it was over. I wanted to leave before it ended. <laughs> and it's like – because we're not going to be able to get into Brothers, which is like the close bar right there, for like a half hour if we didn't. So that was kind of uh, – that always stinks about our day. But, yeah, we went with an 86.7. Quality grade. I think that's solid. Quality tailgate. There are better ones. Do you have the ranks in front of you here? My homerism. Do you have the ranks year-to-date yeah. in front of you here? Illinois, I believe we went. What was the? I actually don't have. I need to go back and look. I think it was low seventies. It was high. I think it was like a seventy-seven something. Oh, high seventies. Ohio State, I had eighty-eight point five. Penn State, and ninety-five point three. Soldier Field was an eighty point two, and then Notre Dame eighty-six point. I think that's perfect. Right between the Soldier Field tailgate and the Ohio State tailgate, because I do think Ohio State slightly better. Penn State obviously better. I mean, yeah. that thing was a freaking loony bin. Mm -hmm. But 
highly encourage you to go to Notre Dame, especially if you're looking to you know chase some good food and hang out with some Notre Dame lifers. I'll say this: their trash talking stinks. They don't trash. I mean, it's a it's a it's a genial fan base. Yeah, genial. Which word am I looking for? They all pray, you pray for the game. I feel like I was not fit for that. I was not fit for that atmosphere. They also had on the third down play-by-play person every third down there would be like this little girl that comes on oh yeah that was what new was i didn't that? like that it was new and it was terrible it'd be like you're not ready for this and it bah, bah, bah. that was, was cool like, that no yeah the, the why did they have to lead off with like the child yeah, on the mic know. it made no sense I didn't but like that either that's gonna do it for this episode of tailgate make sure you rate review and subscribe to the podcast we're doing three podcasts a week all season long and into the draft uh, next next episode we're gonna have seth galena on analyst here at pff we're going to go over the college football slate and on the thursday episode continue to preview the weeks nfl week five college football week six until next time austin gale mike renner producer mike quinn david so max chadwick tailgate